Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Well, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. My name is Mike Jones, and I am the lead pastor here. Um, Guys, it is so good to be in God's presence, right? It is. It is good to be in God's presence. What a shame it would be to go to church and not experience God's presence. It seems like there would be a waste there. And so it is good when we come and we gather. Uh, We know Jesus said that when two or three gather, and it's in his name that he is in the midst, uh, right there with us, right? And especially when we're worshiping in spirit and truth and lifting up his name and that's what we seek to, to do here at Cornerstone Church. If you're a guest with us today, we want you to know that while we, we do value excellence, we always try to put forth our very best. When you come and worship with us, you're not coming to a concert or a show or to watch anybody perform. Uh, and same with me. I mean, um, I'm not up here performing. I'm, I'm trying to share what I feel like the Lord has put in my heart this week as a result of actually studying scriptures. And so while you'll hear me tell a joke or a story or two here and there, I hope that you walk away having walked through the word and you can clearly see the points that I'm making right from scriptures. Um, believe it or not, uh, I get reports from people that come and visit and they're like, you know, Pastor Mike, you actually opened the Bible I've been to church and they don't even open the Bible. The pastor kind of tells, just kind of tells stories. And so we appreciate that. And so that's kind of what you can expect from us here at uh, Cornerstone. Well, we are in a series titled uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, Real Man, Only Savior. And it's to study through the book of Luke. Um, we've been walking through the New Testament. And I put Luke after John, even though in the Bible chronologically it's coming prior. I did that because I wanted the gospel according to Luke and Acts to seem like one long narrative, okay? Two separate series, but one long narrative because they were both written by uh, Dr. Luke. And so we're here um, in the second of five sermons. Last week we learned that Jesus was a real man, and that was one of Luke's primary purposes, being both a Greek and a man of science. He paid especially close attention to the details surrounding Jesus because the idea was, as he and Paul go on their missionary journeys to Greece and that whole uh, Asia Minor region, as they talk about Pontius Pilate or Herod or any of the people surrounding Jesus, the Greeks go, oh, I've heard of Pontius, I've heard of Herod, I've heard of these people, I've heard of that place. And so if the secondary details could be proven true and verified, then the primary details about Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection could also be verified, and in fact, they have been. And so we're building on that. Jesus, yes, he was a real man, but he was so much more than that. He was the revelation of God in this three-dimensional world. You've heard me talk about Jesus being God in a bod, right? He was the expression of God's love and character in this world. And so we're going to look at that in greater detail today, especially as it concerns one humongous aspect of Jesus' life and ministry, and that was compassion. One of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry was compassion. And so as I started thinking about compassion, um, the first thing that comes to my mind, and you may hear me say this a couple times throughout today, is that I am not very good at it. 
Okay, I don't know if it's because I'm a scientist and very logical and I just feel like you need to go get a ladder from Lowe's and climb over whatever problems you have. You know, I, I just tend to not be extremely compassionate. It's something that I need to work on. So as I was studying and even just kind of walking through this this morning, I felt ex- personally challenged by Jesus' life and his example. And it is definitely an area that I need to grow in. Um, does anybody else struggle with compassion? <laughs> yeah, thank you for your honesty. But I have been the recipient of compassion. While I struggle with it, I am extremely thankful for it, right? I remember a time when I had just turned 30, and we, we, uh, it was right during the recession uh, 10, 11 years ago, and our house in Michigan had not sold, and yet we, we accepted a pastorate in Ohio at a, a really large church. And we were there, and our house for a year had not sold, and, you know, double payments at certain points, and... Um, we thought, okay, well, let's, instead of losing the house or short-selling it or ruining credit or anything, we'll, we'll go back. People kind of thought we were crazy for that. But we went back, and we came, when I came back, I came back to teaching again. Um, as you know, I'm, I'm a physics teacher and a math teacher. And I started teaching at a very small uh, private school. I think I made $16,000 that year I came back. I think I made 18 the second. They gave me a raise. Um, and, you know, that's not even close to the poverty line for a family of four. That's ridiculously low. And yet, we made it through. We have testimony after testimony uh, of just bills being paid and people helping us. It was the compassion of both God and others who helped us get through that time. I remember people bringing, like, laundry soap to my house or... Uh, even my parents, who uh, did really, really well for themselves, would take us to Olive Garden once in a while. If you've not been to Olive Garden in a little bit, it's pretty, pretty pricey, right? I mean, my family of six, it, it would be like $80, $90 to go. So, but my parents, they would treat us, and that was, sometimes was the only time we got to go out to eat, right? And so it was compassion that got us through. What about you? Have you ever had a season? Raise your hand if you've had a season like that in your life where the compassion of others has gotten you through, right? Absolutely. And so um, when we are poor, when we are ravaged by conflict or we suffer some sort of physical setback, when we are crushed by our circumstances, it's the compassion of others that alleviates our suffering and helps us move forward. I, I, I shudder to think, I mean, where would I be without the compassion? Where would you be without the compassion of others? Someone once said that, It is our human compassion that binds us the one to the other, not in pity or patronizingly, but as people who have learned how to turn our suffering into hope for the future. And so when you and I, even just as members of the same congregation and community, when we show compassion to each other, we are giving each other hope for the future. We, we, woe is the person to use an old-fashioned word, woe, right? W-O-E, not, not the other kind. But woe, like, oh man, how terrible it would be to have no one show you compassion when you are down, right? How terrible a place that would be. And yet, this was the hallmark of Jesus' life and ministry. And so, as we look uh, today through several passages of scripture in in the book of Luke, we're going to see that Jesus is the revelation of God's love and character in this world, showed compassion to everyone he interacted with. In fact, one commentator says that he would go so far as to say that 
there wasn't a single instance in Jesus' life where he did not show compassion to those he interacted with. And as we move through this, you're going to see uh, that Jesus' example challenges us to move beyond pity. You'll hear me mention pity is just a feeling, right? Feeling sorry for someone's circumstances, but compassion takes action and actually does something about it. And that's exactly what Jesus challenges us to do today. If we are professing to be his followers, if we're professing to walk with him and like him, then people should look at our lives at least some of the time and say, wow, they're, they're different. They have, they're compassionate. Turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 20. We're going to go through a few different passages today, just a few verses here and there that hallmark or show Jesus' compassion. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 20. Would you stand with me just out of reverence for the scriptures? I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Luke chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 16 says, When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives, that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the intendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. He said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. We see that the Spirit anointed Jesus, the Spirit being God's Spirit, right, anointed Jesus to help some very specific people, okay? He lists them, uh, the poor, the prisoners, the physically disabled, the pressed, right? Jesus came specifically to show compassion to those, to those people groups. Now, what I want to point out is that several times throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he ministers straight right to these groups of people. And I, what I find really interesting is that the Spirit's anointing, is just a side application for you and I, you know, a lot of people want to have the influence of God's Spirit in their lives, but it's not for things that He commissions them to do necessarily. Oh God, bless this, bless that, help me with this, help me with that. And, and there's some selfishness that goes with some of that. And yet we see that when we are fulfilling God's purpose for our lives, when we are acting like Jesus would act, when we are showing compassion like Jesus would show compassion, especially to the poor, the prisoners, the physically disabled, and the press, then God's Spirit comes on us and He anoints us. And you know what? Sometimes when you and I try to help people, we feel awkward with it. And yet, it's not how we feel about it that makes the impact. We won't necessarily walk away from every instance of showing compassion, feeling like a superstar, feeling like we did this really, really fine job as if it was some sort of performance or something. It will come away shaking our heads like, man, that didn't go very well. And yet it's exactly those types of circumstances, those types of situations that God will use to like do a miracle. And we'll stand back and we'll go, how in the world did that ever happen? 
How did that person get that from me? Because I'm standing there going, man, I really goofed that up. And yet when the Spirit is anointed us, to, and we are take action, and we step out in faith, and we try to be like Jesus in that way, even though it's like not necessarily natural for us, like for me and for those of you who raised your hands, and you're like, man, I just really struggle with showing compassion. When we step out in faith and say, I'm going to try to follow in the Lord's example, I'm going to do what I can as I can to help the poor, the prisoners, the physically disabled, the depressed, those that are crushed by their circumstances as I come across them in my life, I step out in faith and I'm going to try to help. And even though I walk away shaking my head, the Spirit's anointing is on it, it will be powerful in that person's life. It will be powerful. And so we see that Jesus, he goes forth. He goes forth in the anointing of the Holy Spirit and we, we do the same. And so the compassion was at the core of his life and his, his ministry. This is the, the very reason why the, the God sent him. He sent him to help, right? And so I found a very interesting quote uh, in, in light of this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who was himself a prisoner, uh, I believe in a Russian camp, um, he said, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. We must view people, we must regard them more in the light of what they suffer. And as a result, I believe that compassion will flow out of our hearts just as it did for Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did. He viewed people in light of what they were suffering. Let me show you two examples of this. One very specific example, and then another more general example. Turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 12. Luke chapter 7, verse 12. Now, this passage talks about a funeral. So I thought I'd find you a little story about a funeral. There's a man, and he's dying in his bed, in his home. He's laying in his bed, and he, he smells something amazing. It's the smell of his favorite chocolate chip cookies. And with his last strength, he gets out of his bed. He makes his way down the hallway into the kitchen where his wife of 50 years is cooking those beautiful, sweet-smelling chocolate chip cookies. There they are. They're on a plate. There's four of them just out of the oven. And with his last human strength, he reaches over to take one of those cookies. And when his wife sees him, she rushes over, slaps his hand and says, No, those are for your funeral. Oh... I thought that was good. I thought that was good. There was some compassion there, wasn't there? Absolutely. Let's read verse 12. Okay. So verse 12, chapter 7. Great. Um, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. Verse 12. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. You know, in this specific example of Jesus raising the 
widow's son to life. You know, we, we see him going to this, this little village, probably much like the village Jesus grew up in, maybe. I don't even know where Nain is, right? It's a small little village, but for some reason, Jesus felt like he needed to go there. Maybe he knew that this boy had died. Maybe he knew the mom, maybe he knew the son, right? Some reason or another, he found himself there. And in the course of his life, he came across this procession, moved with compassion. He stopped what he was doing, right? I mean, funerals are pretty common things. I mean, unfortunately, somebody is passing away every day. There are funerals occurring all the time, right? It's a fairly normal part of life. And yet, as easily as, as Jesus could have just walked on by and minded his own business, probably what I would have done, right? I don't tend to drop in on random funerals, right? You probably don't either, right? And yet he saw it and was moved with compassion and having the ability to do something about it, he went over and raises the boy back to life, this widow's only son. The thing I want to take away from this very specific example is that compassion is resonating with someone else's situation, where they're at, not just feeling what they're feeling, but taking a step out and doing something about it, whatever you might be able to do. You and I, we don't have the ability you know, within ourselves to raise someone from the dead. Jesus did, and he did what he could. What can we do in that sort of situation? What, how can we show somebody that we are resonating with their grief? I, I wonder if it's because Jesus knew hurt. And when he saw the widow, when he saw the people weeping, he, he knew her. He knew what loss was. At some point before Jesus started his ministry, he lost his dad. He lost Joseph. At some point in there, he knows what it's like to lose a, a family member. And he saw their pain. He saw their loss. And he responded in an appropriate way. It's no wonder that Isaiah 53 describes Jesus as a man of sorrows. I mean, just imagine looking through Jesus' eyes for a minute and everywhere he went, seeing suffering, seeing the the poor, seeing people ravaged by conflict, seeing uh, prisoners, seeing people physically disabled, seeing people pressed down by their circumstances. Matthew says he, he broke down and wept at one point because he looked out and he saw the people and they were, were helpless, is how Matthew describes it. And so Jesus, he went about as a man of sorrows, touched and resonating with people's grief and the things that they were going for, going through. And I, the, one of the overarching things I'm challenging us with today, I'll say it again and say it probably a couple more times, is while we aren't to do the same, right? To resonate with people, to not be so calloused to the grief and to the hurt and the loss and the pain that people are going through. He wants us to resonate with people, to feel what they're feeling, to have a touch of sorrow, I would say, in our life. And man, guys, that is not a popular sermon. That is not a popular thought in today's world, to be a person of sorrow, to resonate with those who are hurting. We, we would rather, the most natural response is to separate ourselves as much as possible from sorrow, to insulate ourselves from pain and from loss and those who are experiencing it as well, right? Because we want everything to be up and to the right, 
up and to the right. Always progress, always moving forward. Don't hold me back. Don't tell me your sad story. Don't cry on my shoulder. Go pick yourself up, right? And yet Jesus, I don't see him doing that at all. I see him going where people are at, doing what he can to help. That's just one specific example. Let me show you a more general example. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Jesus tells a story. It's very well known. It's a story about the Good Samaritan. Kind of a general story, but it has a very broad application to our lives. Look at uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 33. We're just going to read a couple verses here. Uh, There's a man, he's been beaten, right? And two religious leaders passed by him. But then, verse 33, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I'll pay you the very next time I'm here. And Jesus says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked And the man, who happened to be a religious leader, a teacher of the law, said, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And what Jesus is saying to this man, he's saying to you and I, he's saying, listen, in general, compassion takes action. Look at the the first two people. If you skim through there, you will see there's a priest that comes by. You will see a temple assistant comes by. And they felt there was pity. There was a feeling, oh, that's too bad. That's too bad you're beaten and bloody on the side of the road, but I'm busy, I have some place to go, right? And they go by, no action. And yet an enemy, a despised Samaritan, comes along and takes action. Look at the specific things that he does. He put, uh, soothes his wounds, bandages them, he puts them on his own donkey, takes care of them, pays his bills, etc. There's some action, probably... I'll just level with you, probably a whole lot more action than I would have done, okay? I think I probably would have taken the man to the hospital, made sure he got checked in, right? Maybe checked back on him, but I'm sorry, I probably wouldn't have paid his bills, right? Personally, right? This man did, paid his bills, took care of the man. Talk about challenging action. He did, again, I think the emphasis is on doing what he could, He did have the capability to pay his bills, and so he did. He helped in the way he could help. And so as we encounter poverty, as we encounter prisoners, as we encounter people devastated by conflict in their life, physically disabled, or those who are oppressed and crushed by their circumstances, it's not enough for us to just pity people. That's not Christ-like. Christ doesn't pity us when we're down. He doesn't sit in heaven and say, you know, boy, that's too bad. Okay, what's next on the agenda? What what do we have to do? He doesn't do that. How many of you want your prayers answered with pity? Not a one of us. When we call out to God, we, we are looking for him to show us compassion. And by the way, Every act, every interaction of, with God, between God and you and I, is an act of compassion. 
He doesn't have to look after us, and yet he does. It's an act of compassion that he would, would look down on us and watch over the details of our lives and make sure things are ordered. Every act is a compassion. We'll come back to that in uh, just a, a moment. But the focus right now is that compassion takes action. And that's exactly what Jesus did in both of these two examples. And so that brings me to uh, some pointed questions for you and for us. First for you, why are, why are you and I not more compassionate? Why are you and I not more compassionate? Why am I not more compassionate? A couple reasons. The first one is this. It's either that we've, you've never been poor, you've never been a prisoner of conflict, or you've never been devastated by conflict, you've never been physically disabled, or you've never been prospered by your circumstances, or you've forgotten what it's like to be there. That's the first reason. You've never experienced it, so you can't relate to it. I was telling people earlier in the, our, our little team huddle here before these four services, I said, you know, I've, as I was studying this, I felt it, uh, very challenged by this because, you know, I, I've never broken a bone. I've never had a cavity. I've never been destitute, you know. I, I'm not physically disabled in any way. I, I've, I've never been a prisoner of war or been ravaged by a conflict you know, I've never had my house burned down. I've never been in a serious car accident. I've never had any of these calamities occur to me, right? And so maybe that's the reason why I, and maybe that's the reason why you struggle to show compassion because we've never been there. And I felt personally challenged. In my, in my notes, I wrote, I better start cultivating compassion in my life or the Lord will make sure that I do. I wrote that down to myself. I said, I better, I better start being more compassionate or the Lord will, he will work on me. He will find a way. He'll, he'll break a bone or do something. He'll, you know what I'm saying? I want you to think about that for your own life as well. Two, the second reason is that we don't place value on people the same way that God does. We just simply don't value people the way he does. I want to show you an example. Look at Luke 14. Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. You're going to notice several times as we look through these scriptures that people who are religious, who have that set of rules and different things that they, they, they that checklist that they go by, and that kind of determines whether or not they, they feel right with God. And God, look, by the way, he looks at those checklists as silly. He doesn't count them as righteousness between us. It's only faith in Jesus, right? And, and so, it's, unfortunately, it's in these stories, it's the religious people who are struggling the most with compassion, right? And this one is no different. Look here, verses one through six. One day, Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. Pharisees were extremely religious, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. I just pause. I think that that man was a servant in the house, okay? Because quite frankly, the Pharisees wouldn't have invited him. They wouldn't have invited him. So he's probably a servant in the house, right? Uh, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? And they refused to answer there was such a, a lack of compassion in their hearts. So Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. 
probably did. you're done, your shift's done, go. You know, you're healed, go. Let him, he let him go. Then he turned to the man, turned to them, the Pharisees, and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow, your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? He's essentially saying, you have more compassion on a cow than on this man who's right in front of you right now, clearly suffering, clearly having a hard time, and probably being made to do the chores. Wait on tables, and he's clearly in pain, zero compassion towards him. And Jesus calls them on their hypocrisy and just basically says, you have more compassion on a cow than on this man. And so when I read this, I thought right away, God, help me value people the way you do, especially the people who are right in front of me on a daily basis, people that are just right in front of me, people that I encounter. I mean, how easy it is, especially being so busy, how easy is it for you to go from one thing to the next and like just blur? The people around you are a blur. You're totally oblivious to their hurt, to their pain, to any sadness in their face. And, and it's like just you're not even aware and worse yet, how awful is it if you are just simply calloused, like the Pharisees were? And Jesus is calling you and I on the carpet, and he's saying, that's not right. You have more compassion on, on for me, I have a pet cat, you have more compassion on your cat than you do this person that's right here in front of you. You have more compassion on these, these other lesser situations. And so I felt personally challenged by that, and I, I hope that you, you do as well. He says, now you go and do the same for others. The third reason, why are we not more compassionate? I'll let you off the hook for a minute and talk to us as a group. Why are we not more compassionate? I think it's because we think people are getting what they deserve. And, and quite honestly, we like it. We like it. When we see, especially when people are suffering for being foolish or being a knucklehead, we're like, well, what did you think was going to happen? And it kind of has this air about it. It kind of justifies our goodness. Like, well, man, I'm glad I was doing the right thing this whole time. <laughs> you know, we get that kind of attitude when we see people, especially those in our family or those at work those that are right in front of us every day, those we know well and we think should know better, this is exactly what we see in our last passage. Go to Luke 15. Luke 15. This is the parable of the lost son. It's quite lengthy. We're not going to read the whole thing. But if you remember the story, you know that a, ma a rich man has two sons. The younger comes to him and says, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, please, I want it. He goes, he spends it foolishly. He ends up losing everything. As soon as his money runs out, his friends are gone. He ends up in the pig pen eating garbage, essentially. And he finally comes to his senses and he says, man, the servants in my father's house are treated better than this. I should go back and just say, please make me one of your servants and I'll work. At least I'll have food and a place to stay. And so he comes home and we read that when he comes uh, to his senses and he returns home, this is verse 20, he returns home to his father, and while he was a still a long way off, his father saw him filled with love and what? Compassion. 
He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. He said to his son, Father, I have sinned against uh, both. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. His father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring, kill the calf, we're having a feast. My son was lost, and now he's found, and so the party began. Now here's where we find you and I. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working, and he returned home, and he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what is going on? Your brother is back, he was told. Your father is throwing a party. The older brother was what? Angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet this son of yours, doesn't even call him his brother. This son of yours comes back after squandering your money and you celebrate by giving him a party. His father said, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had, we had We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and now has come back to life. He was lost and now was found. You know, we can be like the older son. We like to see people reap what they sow, especially when we've been just doing the right thing all around. And we feel like we haven't reaped what we've been sowing. We've been doing good. Where's my party? Where's my party, God? I've been serving you all these years. Where's my party? Someone comes back after living foolishly and you're just going to forgive them just just like that? Yup. Verse 7, Jesus says, In the same way there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. What we forget when we're in that situation is that we already had our party. Every single one of us were born as sinners. Not a one of us were born right into God's family. We were born outside of his family because of sin. And yet God had compassion on us, sent his son to die for us, a terrible death, take the punishment for our sins, a punishment he did not deserve. And as we express faith and come into his family, God throws us a party. And as we stay, the longer we stay, more and more people come in. And I think sometimes people forget years, years ago when we made that choice to follow God, we He threw us a party. He celebrated us coming in. And so he says this story, I think, for us, because when we come in, especially with those that are in our family, and they've been acting like idiots, and then they want to come in, seek forgiveness, and, and and move forward with life, how quick we are to be like, whoa, wait a second. Wait, you just can't come back? You know, you, you, you gotta, we, we want them to like crawl on their knees down the road or something. We want, we want to see some pain because they've put us through some, some pain. And yet God is saying, listen, if God welcomes them back, how much more so should we? And if we are not compassionate for people that turn away from sin 
and ruining their life and come back to God, then how in the world can we be compassionate in any other way at any other time? It seems like that, given Jesus' mission and everything he tried to accomplish, that would be the very most fundamental act of compassion that we could ever show. How many of you agree? Amen. And so today, we've, we've looked at several instances uh, uh, through Jesus' life. We see the Spirit anointed him. We see uh, him going and ministering to the poor, to the prisoners, to the physically disabled, to the pressed, coming in, showing compassion, not just having pity. We see him taking action and encouraging us to do whatever it is we, within our power. Sometimes we're not going to have the power to pay somebody's bills or do any of that sort of thing. We're gonna, all we're going to be able to do is pray. We're going to be able to grieve with them. We're going to be able to resonate with them. But even that, I think we can do because that doesn't cost us anything but a little time and a little thought and a little bit of energy. And that's what Jesus is expecting of us. If we are, as his followers, going to be like him, a revelation of God's love and character in this world, that's exactly, that needs to be a hallmark of our life, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, why else would God leave us here if not to show compassion, if not to help? Otherwise, wouldn't he just take us to heaven? Right? There's got to be a greater purpose and greater thing he wants us to accomplish. And I think compassion is at the heart of that. And so I know that it's September and Christmas and Thanksgiving are usually when we try to like ramp up and get in the spirit of compassion, right? But I want to challenge each of us and myself first and foremost to as this fall goes prior to Christmas and Thanksgiving, can we heighten our awareness of the needs and the suffering around us and do what we can to help those that we encounter as we can? Stand and pray with me. Thank you for your attention today. Oh, if you're willing, join with me uh, in this prayer, just under your breath and in your own words as I pray for us. Father God, I just pray that today you would work on my heart and our hearts, God, that we would realize just how much compassion you have shown us. Just even that you're hearing our prayers on a daily basis, even that your, your protection is on us and that your blessing is flowing into our lives, God, it is an act of compassion. And so, Lord, help us not to, to forget that or um, take that for granted, God. And, and for those of us who have, uh, like myself, not experienced a terrible amount of calamity, help us to cultivate compassion in our own hearts, to to heighten our awareness of the needs and the suffering around us and to do what we can, when we can, to help those people. Just as you would, let us be your hands and your heart extended in this community, God. And especially to those in our families, God, those at our workplace, those who have been foolish but are trying to turn things around and coming to you, help us, Lord, to, uh, to respond as you would with forgiveness and, um, and grace. I thank you for that and for hearing this prayer. And I, I pray a blessing upon every person that, that, that was here today. Go with them today. Let, your, just, let them just experience your love, your presence. Lord, those who are needing healing or those who are needing help, Lord God, in any of their most important relationships, I pray that you would send it to them right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. 
in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, would you give somebody a handshake, a high five, or a hug on your way out? And if you're a guest here and I get to greet you, please come and find me. You are loved. Have a great week. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.